Well, if you wanted a little Bible history lesson, there you go, in a very short, but I think also very educational way. Um, What we're going to try to accomplish over the next many, many, many weeks is very simple, to look at something a little bit more clearly, um, to be able to kind of study it in a way that maybe we've never studied it before. And to be honest with you, I've never done a sermon series quite like this before, And uh, if you were around in the 90s, you'll remember two things that came out that were very similar but very different in one way. The first one uh, is what was so frustrating to me. It's called the Magic Eye Poster. Do you guys ever remember the Magic Eye Poster? They would show you this picture, and you'd have to see something in it. If you you were Seinfeld people, the Mr. Pitt going crazy because he couldn't see what everybody else saw, and he just went ballistic. Um, that was kind of described me a little bit when I would ever see these things because I didn't know what I was looking for. They would tell me, no, it's like a spaceship or it's a, in a unicorn or whatever it might be. And I'm like, I don't see it. I'm looking at it and I'm trying to look through it like you're telling me to. I'm trying to look at it fuzzy like you're telling me to, but I've never ever seen it. And I don't even know what that one is. But if you can see it, kudos to you. Uh, I, I don't. Um, then there was another one. This one I really, really liked. Um, Maybe you remember Where's Waldo. Uh, Where's Waldo was a lot of fun for me because you could study Waldo. You could look at Waldo and you could say, okay, this is what his hair looks like. This is what his hat looks like. This is what his shirt looks like. This is the colors that he's got on. And then you would search the picture and I would get all excited because I would find Waldo in the picture. Here's the thing I want you to think about though. If you had never seen Waldo before, and we showed you the picture, you would have no idea which one it is. It could have been anybody. But when you study Waldo, and you try to look at him and and get every single detail in your mind, now you're able to spot him. You're able to recognize him. And so I started to think about Christianity. How much do we study Jesus? How much do I try to look at Jesus, every detail, so that I know exactly what he looks like, what he's going to sound like, uh, the ways about him? And if I do that, and if I'm able to study him in great detail, then I'll be able to pick him out when he shows up in my life, in the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to study Christ. In the uh, late 70s, I'll never forget seeing a commercial on TV for a pair of shoes called Zips. Anybody remember Zips? One person. Okay. The commercials that I would watch were amazing um, because Zips, when you put them on your feet, they would make you run faster and you'd be able to jump further. And one of the commercials are like jumping over a house and, you know, running like Superman did, you know, and so I was like, man, I got to get a pair of zips, and so I finally uh, mustered up the money or begged my parents enough uh, to buy me a pair of zips, and so didn't even have to lace them up because they had the Velcro and the zipper, cool, hence the name, and, uh, and I was so excited to go outside to do what? To run faster and jump further than I ever had before. And I thought, you know what? 
just to warm up, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to take a shot at the house yet. So I went out into our driveway where we had this 10 foot basketball goal in Indiana. That's pretty much almost every driveway. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to touch the rim. Now I was like three and a half feet tall. So I'm like, okay, here I go. And I ran and I jumped as high as I could, but I missed. I missed. I missed the net. It wasn't even close. And so I was very upset about my miss. I was upset that I had been told one thing, and sure enough, something else is what happened. And it occurred to me, as my Surface Pro freezes on me, this is what my wife tells me, she says, always have a paper of your sermon so that you know exactly where you are. Anyway, so I got upset because what I was told wasn't reality. And then I started to think about Christianity. I've been told all these things. But what it makes it truth? What makes it truth is when it happens, when it actually comes to be. And so when we start studying the life of Christ, we're actually going to start in the Old Testament. The book, uh, your Bible, uh, 66 books, is broken into two basic sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And believe it or not, the Old Testament does a lot of talking about Jesus. It is a great place to study Christ. It points us to him. But how do we know that it's true? It's true if it actually comes to fruition. And so in the Old Testament, you're going to see over 300 times mentioned in the Messiah. These are called the uh, messianic prophecies. The word Messiah uh, basically means anointed one. These are things that are going to happen. Somebody is going to come. And so, again, when I was growing up, I didn't grow up in a world outside of a Christian home. I, all I knew was church. All I knew was Christianity because that's what was told to me. But at some point in time, I had to move beyond what my parents were telling me, uh, the people at the church were telling me, and I had to really discover this faith for myself. Can I accept it? Can I embrace it? Can I live it? Can I defend it? And so that's what we want to be able to do as we kind of go through this series. Because if anything, Jesus is the key to everything. He's the key to the Bible. He's the key to Christianity. And ultimately, he is the key to eternal life. We truly believe that. In John, the book of John, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, written by one of Jesus' friends, John 1.14 says this, says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. When it says the word became flesh, I want you to kind of understand what that's talking about because up until this point, the Word was the Old Testament. It was the Old Covenant. So when we're saying the Word became flesh, that's exactly what must happen. 
But how does it become flesh? That's what we find out through the life of Christ as he fulfills the things that we're told in the Old Testament. And what I want to do today is share with you just a few of those things mentioned in the Old Testament um, that is scheduled to happen hundreds of years later and in some instances thousands of years later through this man that we call Jesus that had to take place, they had to happen in order for God's Word in the Old Testament to become flesh through Jesus. They had to happen, and they have to happen exactly the way it's mentioned, or else it's a big hoax. And so, again, Messiah, anointed one. Uh, The Old Testament includes 60 different prophecies about the Messiah, uh, with over 300 references to the coming of him. And it was through the fulfillment of these prophecies that Israel was told that she would be able to recognize the true Messiah when he comes. Here's what he's going to look like, just like Waldo. Here's what he's going to look like. Look for him. And then the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, will record the life of Christ, fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Jesus even mentions this in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Could you imagine looking through a book and saying, Yeah, it's all about me. (laughs) I'm living this out. And he points that out to the disciples. And then further on in verse 44, he says, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. They have to be fulfilled. And likewise, Christ's disciples, they also taught that he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies because in Acts 3.18, it says, But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. He fulfilled them. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to look through some messianic prophecies. And it's going to be, if you've never gone through them, it's going to be a lot for you to think about and remember. So before you leave today, I have all of this printed up for you, the messianic prophecies, so that you can just take them home. I just got the top 45, so you can just look at those. So here's a partial list that I would like to kind of take you through. The first thing is this, and it's mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, but the Messiah would come from the seed of the woman, and that's very different, as everybody else in the history of the world has come from the seed of the man. So for the for, for to right away say from the seed of the woman is different. This is going to also allude to a virgin birth. It's going to come from the seed of the woman who would destroy the work of the devil. The second one is the Messiah would be a descendant of Noah's son Shem. Not Ham, not Japheth, but Shem. And so that is what's recorded. And so already... What you can see is we're starting to eliminate things. We're like starting to narrow down the possibilities. 
and it's going to be extremely difficult for these things to actually come to fruition because Noah had three sons. It says, but it's only going to come from one of them, Shem. More specifically, he would be from a descendant of Shem, a guy named Abraham. And if you've been in church for a while, you know that name, the name of Abraham. And Abraham actually had eight sons, but it would only be one of them, Isaac. And so his son Isaac, the Messiah, would come through his line. And so the prophecy eliminates seven. The fifth one, more specifically, he would be a descendant of Isaac's son, Jacob. And many of you guys, if you knew the Old Testament a little bit or even had it in children's church, you remember the story of Jacob and Esau. So who was born first? They were twins. Esau was born first. So you would think automatically Esau would be the, but it's not. It would be through Jacob. More specifically, it would be through the descendant of Judah, not of the other 11 brothers of Judah, which also they all make up the 12 tribes of Israel, but it would be through Judah. The prophecies also, or more specifically, say that it would be a descendant from the family of Jesse. Not King Saul, not the guy currently on the throne, but a guy named Jesse who had quite a few sons of his own. But out of all his sons, it would be the one you would least think. A boy named David. The Messiah would come out of the house of David. And that will fulfill the scriptures. See, Christ's genealogy in Matthew 1 is going to fulfill all, a lot of these things. And so, to wrap our minds around all this, that's just eight. That's just eight of them. And what this does is it takes a passage of scripture that we probably skimmed over many times. Uh, especially when you start reading through the New Testament the very first chapter in the New Testament is one that people are like, yeah, I don't need to know all this. And so we skip it. But since I just told you that the Messiah would come from the woman's seed, from the Noah's son Shem, from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob, from Judah, from the family of Jesse, from the house of David, when you hear those things, it's going to make Matthew chapter 1 a little bit more interesting for you. And so I'm going to read it for you, uh, the first 17 verses. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 1. We're going to read 1 through 17. And now I want you to just kind of pick up on what we just went through. It says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and I'm just going to stop real quick and just do a, I apologize if I don't announce these names the way that you think they should be announced. I am terrible with names, and I've already proven that this morning, but I'm going to prove it even more right now. All right, Abraham the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez 
and uh, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. How cool would it be to have your name Ram? That's pretty cool. The father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. I just wonder if the writer's like, I'm just going to remind David, I'm going to remind him of his sin. And I'm just going to add this little excerpt right here. Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijab. Abijab, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And after the exile to Babylon, there's a list of about 14 more, and you can read through it, but I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 15. Elihud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Then it says, Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and then 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So let's just go from David, because a lot of these are mentioned in the book of Psalms, all the way to the Messiah, is 28 generations. Now, think about that for a moment, because I can't even begin to tell you what my grandchildren will be doing, or if I will even be blessed enough to have grandchildren, or whether they'll be boys or girls. I can't tell you that. So now think about it, 28 generations further, we are telling you what it will look like. That is absolutely amazing. And so to predict something 28 generations is hard for us to even fathom. Pause for a second. Even if we just took eight prophecies... So I'll take the top eight that I just mentioned. If we look at the eight prophecies and we start to figure out what are the probabilities of those things happening uh, to be fulfilled by one man, uh, it is astronomical. In fact, I let somebody else do the math, but math scholars have done this with scholars of the word, and they are far smarter than I am, but I highly encourage you. Uh, there's a book by Josh McDowell called Evidence. Um, 
And so I, I would highly encourage you to, to look at that. But several scholars have basically said, we're going to make it a little easier for you. It is 1 to the 10 to the 17th power. That's the probabilities of one man fulfilling eight prophecies that are mentioned. 10 with 17 zeros after it. I don't do well with math, and so I needed them to give me a different illustration, and so they did. Basically, they said, if you take the state of Texas, and you take silver dollars, and you fill Texas two feet with silver dollars, the entire state is covered with silver dollars two feet deep, you take one of the silver dollars, and you mark it with an X, or in our case, we'll put a cross on it. And you toss it into the middle of Texas. And then you bring in bulldozers and they stir it all up. And then you have one man start wandering through the state of Texas. And on any given day, on one specific day, he stops, he's blindfolded, and he just reaches down and he picks up whatever coin he has, and that would be the coin with the cross on it. That's the probabilities of the eight prophecies being fulfilled by one man. That's pretty extraordinary. And we would say, that's God. And I love the fact that God doesn't stop there in his word. The other things that you will find is that in the Old Testament, we are told that he would be born in the city of Bethlehem. And it wasn't by their choice. They had to go there because of who, where they had to go pay tax and for the census. Something that Caesar Augustus was implementing at the time. That he would be born a virgin in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7. He would be born of a virgin birth. He will come while the temple, and so when? He will come while the temple in Jerusalem is still standing. And if you're a historian, you know that the temple would be destroyed in 70 AD. And so that kind of locks us into a time frame. Uh, we also know that he will perform many miracles, that he will speak in parables, which he does. The Gentiles will believe in him, while his own people, the Jews, will reject him. That a messenger, it actually says a man in the wilderness, will come and prepare a way for him. And that's the role of John the Baptist. The man in the wilderness who would prepare the way and point people to Jesus. We'll be talking about that in a couple weeks. That he will enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey is prophesied. He will be hated for no reason, Psalm 69. That he will be betrayed. More specifically, that he would be betrayed by a friend. that the price of his betrayal will be 30 pieces of silver. It's very specific. Not 29, not 31, 30 pieces of silver. 
that the betrayal money will be cast onto a floor. Prophesied in Zechariah 11. More specifically, it would be cast onto the floor of the temple. That the betrayal money will be used to buy a potter's field. Fulfilled in Matthew 27. That Jesus, that the Messiah will not open his mouth to, def- to defend himself. That he will be quiet. That he will be beaten and spit upon. That he will be numbered with the transgressors. And we know this because he was killed and crucified along with two thieves. That he will be pierced. That he will be crucified on a cross, on a tree. Which would basically be invented later. That his hands and feet will be pierced. And then the crucifixion foretold graphically and specifically. That his bones will not be broken. They will divide his clothing and they will cast lots for them. That he will be given vinegar and gall to drink. That he will actually say the words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And that he will be buried with the rich. And when we read through the Gospels, we learn that Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body and put him in his own tomb, a wealthy man. And that's just a fraction of the prophecies that are mentioned in the Old Testament. But the ones that I wanted to share with you guys, because they spoke to me. So what does all that mean? That those things were prophesied and then they would come true. And the first thing that I would just point out is I believe that it solidifies that God's word is exactly that. It is God's word. In 2 Timothy, uh, we know, and it basically states that all of Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that we will all know the truth, and then we can live our lives accordingly. But it's God-breathed. God spoke the word through these people who wrote it down. And if you struggle with understanding that God didn't write the Bible, or that it was just written by men who are sinful and with error, this should help confirm you and should confirm to you that the Bible is specifically written by God because men cannot do what we just talked about. It has to be only through God and His Spirit. But in regards to the prophecy, I actually love 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 that says this, For no such prophecy was ever brought about through human initiative. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Catch that? No such prophecy was ever brought about through human initiative, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So for everything to occur... 
as it was foretold in the scriptures, most people would say that is impossible. But we would say that that is God. That's impossible. There's no way that can happen. Well, then you're going to spend a lot of time saying that throughout the Bible because there's a lot of things in the Bible we would look at and say, that can't happen. Starting with the creation of the world. Going all the way to a resurrected body. That can't happen. It's impossible. But we would say that is God. There's three prophecies that I want to close with that are going to drive home the last point. And the first one is this, and it's found in Psalm 16, but he will be resurrected from the dead. That the Messiah will be resurrected from the dead. The second of which, that he will ascend into heaven. He will ascend into heaven. And then the third, that he will be the Son of God. All three of those found in the book of Psalms. And the last one, all three, solidifying that without a doubt proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if Jesus is the Son of God, then the life of Jesus is something that we should look at. And we should study. To study him so that we might know what he looks like and what he acts like and what he taught and how he loved others and how he showed mercy and how he came full of humility. And if we go back to John 1.14, that he came full of love and truth. Jesus came full of both. And you hear us talk about that a lot because, man, if we're going to come full of anything, let's come full of grace and truth because that's what Jesus did. I'm really looking forward to going through this with you guys. And I hope that this has been helpful for you. And I know it's a lot to comprehend and grasp, but, man, this is just the beginning. This is going to be a ton of fun. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your word and the fulfillment of it. And as we read through your Old Testament, just to be able to say, hey, there he is, there he is, there he is, there he is. And then to have your son come and fulfill every aspect. And I, we just scratched the surface of that this morning. So many things that we can look at and say, there it is, there he is. And to know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so be with us as we take this journey together. And we ask this so much in your name. Amen.